first offer my respectful obeisances to my spiritual masters, Divine Grace, Hesi Bhaktivedanta Swami Prabhupada, to all the pre previous acharyas who taught the system of bhakti, and to all of you who are walking steadfastly on the path of bhakti. Hare Krishna. We're in the midst of reading from the Srimad Bhagavatam, and at this verse today, we're hearing from Brahma, who's a servant of Krishna, and he has the power to create forms in this world, Kumamela. And so it's good to get insight from him about the right attitude for creating anything, as uh, he has a lot of experience with it. I think we can relate to him too, because he also has uh, frust frustrations, frustrating circumstances. Has anybody ever had any of those? Yes. Let me count. Okay. <laughs> and actually, in one of his purports that we already read from this book, Prabhupada said frustration is a sign that we don't really belong in the world because we wouldn't even notice if there wasn't a dichotomy between our subtlety and the gross and clunky nature of the material energy. So we can th th thank Krishna for that, that we have the awareness to see that. Also, we may see from Brahma that he proceeds whatever he does with prayers because he realizes that he's actually an instrument and he's not the ultimate creator of anything. And this can be very helpful also because there are a lot of implications for being the doer. As Krishna already mentioned in the Bhagavad Gita, I say already because it's sort of a preliminary study, preliminary study to the, uh, to the Srimad Bhagavatam. And in it he mentions that the, the motive for which we work in the world is very important. And that if I consider that I own the result of my work, then th that becomes a burden to me. And it's actually what entangles me in the material world. And it's, it seems at first uh, counterintuitive, however, it's effective. And that is that if one changes that perspective, and the motive isn't that I get to keep the result, but I'm doing my work dutifully, and I make sure I'm doing the right duty also, then uh, I work in the world, but as Krishna says, I don't become burdened by it. And that's important. And so thinking of oneself as an instrument and also praying for help when help is needed, and pretty much it's always needed if one has much ambition at all to move forward in life. I th think of the time in which Brahma, during the creative process, was frustrated about the earth not being aligned in its access. Do you remember that? I mean, were you around for that part? <laughs> Earlier, you know, 
previous millenniums. We're all souls here, right? We've been around forever. We just happen to be here right now, which I'm really happy about. I get the best end of the deal to be with all of you. And so Brahma got frustrated because things weren't lining up. And the earth had fallen out of its axis, off its axis. I don't know what to call that. And he sat down in meditation, and an entity came out of his nostril. It turned out it was Krishna. And he started flying around in the form of a hog, and uh, a sacred hog. And the sages who were present at the time recognized his divinity and started offering, of course it's a flying hog, started offering prayers. And of course it was an answer to Brahma's conundrum which was how do I pick the earth back up again? So Krishna just manifested. So there's a way in which we need help. And if we pray for Krishna's help specifically and we're articulate about it, or even non-articulate. Gajendra wasn't that articulate in the beginning because he hadn't, hadn't much idea about who the Supreme was. That's a, another part of praying and asking for help that's important, and that is Gajendra, although he had been a, a devotee in his previous life, when he got into trouble, does anybody remember what kind of trouble he got into? He got bit. <laughs> Anybody here ever get bit? Crocodile. When you're last expect, least expecting it, mosquitoes, monkeys, and death come unexpectedly. And apparently, was it an alligator or a crocodile? This is serious. We need some biologists in here. Crocodile? Crocodile, uh, to quote Avantika, uh, bit him. So he didn't just bite once, but he bit and held on and wouldn't let go. And then Gajendra, after some time, had this sense that uh, I need help. And he simultaneously remembered some of the prayers that he had memorized in his previous life because he had recited them every day. So those types of things can come back to you in your next life. So Prabhupada mentions that, that one should memorize the Brahma Sanghita and also the Nishringa Stotran and other prayers in case you become an animal in your next life. Or, you know, and you're anywhere. So as he sang the prayers and asked for help, then Krishna understood from the tone of his prayers that it was for him. And simultaneously, the devas, highly empowered beings within the universe, who are subservient to Krishna, could understand that it's not meant for us. Apparently, it's a different tone. You can, Krishna could understand. So that's another nuance to the lesson, is that when we call out, we should have that tone in our, to our voice that I really need help. And if we can be articulate, as was Kardama Muni when he prayed to do his, uh, his work as a sage, to do sacrifices. He needed help. He needed a wife. 
And of course, when he asked Narayan, who had appeared before him after he had controlled his senses for thousands of years, and Narayan just said, yeah, I know. I know that. Why wouldn't I know that? <laughs> and he made an arrangement for him. And Krishna is fulfilling the desire of every living entities, of every living entity. Sapariyagachchukram akayam avranam asnaviram shudham apapavidam kavirmanishi paribhu swayambur yatat yatyatortan veradashasvati bhyasamabhyaha. That's Anushree's favorite verse. At least it used to be. So he's uh, been fulfilling every living entity's desire since a time immemorial. And uh, he's also up to the task because he doesn't have a material body. A papa vidam. He's completely pure and all-powerful. He can fulfill everyone's desires simultaneously all at once. And he knows everyone. Veda hamsa, this is Bhagavad Gita. Veda hamsamatitani vartamanani charjuna bhavishami chabutani mamtu veda nakashjana. He says, I know everything, I know everybody. Sometimes people say that. We were going door to door once. One morning, a man came to the door in his bathrobe, and I showed him Bhagavad Gita, and he goes, I know everything. So I had to go gather the other devotees to bring and meet him. I said, you got to see this guy. He knows everything. You ask him whatever you want, he'll answer it. He said, no, 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 not like that. But Krishna actually can uh, tell you everything, and he can supply whatever we need. In fact, the Vedas say, nityo nityanam chetanas chetananam eko bahunam yovidhatikaman. There's a supreme eternal being, and there is a plurality of subordinate beings, and the one supreme being is supplying everything for the others. That's a good thing to know. And Krishna says in the Gita also that if, if you're clear on this, and you dedicate your energies to me, whatever sacrifices you do, do for me, like he says, Yat Koroshi, Yarashnashi, at Johosi Dadasiat, Yatapasyasikontiat, at Kurushva Mararpanam. Whatever you do, whatever you eat, whatever you offer, give away, whatever you um, sacrifice for, do it as an offering to me. And, and he said, Then you'll become perfect by that method. Because he's the, as he says, the Bukdarang Jagatapasan. He's the one who can receive all sacrifices and digest them, and then distribute them to everybody perfectly the way they should be. And so any difficult task can be accomplished by remembering uh, Brahma's mood. It's prayerful. It's in a mood of an ins being an instrument, and I'm doing it for Krishna. And he's uh, very thoughtful and articulate as he does it. So let's hear this uh, next verse, and we'll go through it. This is Brahma, and it's in the second canto, fifth chapter, 11th verse. And here Brahma says, I create after the Lord's creation by his personal effulgence, known as the Brahma Jyoti, just as when the sun manifests its fire, the moon 
the firmament, the influential planets, and the twinkling stars also manifest their brightness. Can you look up firmament, please? You were already doing it. That's pretty good. Huh? You mean sky? Why don't we just say sky? It's one syllable. Let's see if there's any nuance to it. Thank you, Shraddha. Yes, firmament for 500, please. He needs, he needs a microphone. Here, there's the red one there. Um, okay, so firmament is a noun, and it means the heavens or the sky, especially when regarded as a tangible thing. Oh, especially when regarded as a tangible thing. Can you tell us where it came from? Um, so it first started um, in Latin as firmare, which means to fix or settle, and then it went to firmamentum, it's also Latin, and then Old French, firmament. So, as in firm, it's established, it's real. The firmament. Okay. Ostensibly, that which doesn't, you can look to the firmament and it's dependable. For instance, the uh, sea captains look at the stars, the firmament, and navigate accordingly. I'll read the verse one more time. I create after the Lord's creation by his personal effulgence, known as the Brahma Jyoti. Just as when the sun manifests its fire, the moon, the firmament, the influential planets, and the twinkling stars also manifest their brightness. So this is a comparison to the effulgence of Krishna. It's highly consequential because as... Brahma is saying here, when the sun comes out, everything becomes activated, and there's life in the universe. And similarly, Krishna is the life behind everything. In fact, in the seventh chapter of the Bhagavad Gita, he says, I'm the life of all that lives. And it's really easy to conceptualize that by seeing how the sun is bringing life to everything. And we might take it for granted because we're used to the cycles of the sun on our earthly planet and how we just think, well, it's autumn and so everything looks autumnal and that means light's going down, life's going down a little bit into winter when it's really dark and cold, not as much light, but when it when the light comes back, then everything springs back and comes to life again. And you can imagine in, from this verse about Krishna, Eka desha stitasyagnir joshna vistaraniyata parasya brahmana shaktis tatedam akilam jagat Vishnu Purana says that although the sun is in one place, but he distributes his energy everywhere in the universe. Similarly, Krishna, it, although in one place, distributes his energy everywhere, infinitely. So you can think of Krishna. When you see life anywhere, you can imagine it's 
being not imagined. You can know that it's being sustained by the effulgence of Krishna. Purport. Lord Brahmaji said to Narada that his impression that Brahma was not the supreme authority in the creation was correct. Sometimes less intelligent men have the foolish impression that Brahma is the cause of all causes. But Narada wanted to clear the matter by the statements of Brahmaji, the supreme authority in the universe. As the decision of the Supreme Court of a state is final, similarly the judgment of Brahmaji, the supreme authority in the universe is final in the Vedic process of acquiring knowledge. As we have already affirmed in the previous verse, Nardaji was a liberated soul. Therefore, he was not one of the less intelligent men who accept the false god or gods in their own ways. He represented himself as less intelligent and yet intelligently presented a doubt to be cleared by the supreme authority so that the uninformed might take note of it and be rightly informed about the intricacies of the creation and the creator. This is a, an important point that I'd like to touch upon and will, and that is that doubting is important. In fact, Kapiladev mentions in his teachings to Devahuti in the third canto that doubting is a function of the intelligence because it's meant to help us systematically come to a clear understanding of the truth, which is called Siddhanta. A perfect understanding means you know what something is, you also know what it isn't. And by the Socratic method, asking questions, one can come to understand that, that is, what is the ultimate truth. And especially it's important if one has doubts that one should clear them. Don't harbor them, bring them out. We see this in a dramatic way in the Bhagavad Gita because Arjuna had a huge doubt about what he was supposed to do. And he didn't hold back. He expressed himself to Krishna. He, he had a breakdown. Do you ever have a breakdown? Yes. Only, only a third? <laughs> I can relate. Yeah, so it's actually good because then you can start over and you can really clear your soul and clear your doubts. And so like no more pretense. Prabhupada mentioned that the other day. When all seems lost and futile, then there's a self-searching that takes place and one feels free to just inquire about what's my ultimate purpose because the charade seems to have been revealed and now I can't pretend anymore so I just have to be myself which is a kind of a relief because not just on Halloween in fact sometimes and I read recently that people are more free to be themselves when they're behind a mask and therefore masks are popular I mean, not during the pandemic, they're not popular, but in general, the idea of masking oneself and then 
saying what you want to say because no one knows who you are. So what am I trying to protect anyway in normal times? And when, by circumstance, the mask is pulled back and everyone sees who you are anyway, it's like, oh, well, might as well be myself. Isn't that a relief? Because it's a 24-7, if I may use that phrase, endeavor to be somebody I'm not. It takes a lot of work, a lot of prepping and preening to present myself to others as something different or better than I am. So, uh, Brahma here represented himself as less intelligent, yet intelligently presented a doubt to be cleared. So, Clearing doubts is important, and this is one of the uh, ways in which one can make rapid advancement in spiritual life is to find those teachers who can remove your doubts and then bring them and make an, uh, make an arrangement that I have doubts, you can clear them, how about if we get together? I'll present the doubts, you cut them to pieces, and then we'll go on with our lives. And if you have that kind of arrangement, then you can be unburdened very quickly. And it's one of the uh, duties of somebody who has knowledge is to help other people become unburdened. Next, in this verse, Brahmaji clears up the wrong impression held by the less intelligent and affirms that he creates the universal variegatedness after the potential creation by the glaring effulgence of Lord Sri Krishna. Brahmaji has also separately given this statement in the Sanghita, known as Brahma Sanghita 540. Uh-oh, you can see the verse. I was going to ask you if you knew it. Yesya prabha prabhavato jagaranda koti koti shushesha vasudadi vibhuti binam Tad Brahma Nishkalama Sheshabhutam Govindamari Purusham Tamahambajami. I serve the Supreme Personality of Godhead Govinda, the primeval Lord, whose transcendental bodily effulgence, known as the Brahma Jyoti, which is unlimited, unfathomed, and all pervasive, is the cause of the creation and unlimited numbers of planets, etc with varieties of climates and specific conditions of life. The same statement is in the Bhagavad Gita 1427. Lord Krishna is the background of the Brahma Jyoti, Brahmanohi Pratishtaham. In the Nirukti or Vedic dictionary, the import of Pratishta is mentioned as that which is that which establishes. So, the Brahma Jyoti is not independent of, or self-sufficient. Lord Sri Krishna is ultimately the creator of the Brahma Jyoti, mentioned in this verse as Swarochisa, or the effulgence of the transcendental body of the Lord. This Brahma Jyoti is all-pervading, and all creation is made possible by its potential power. Therefore, the Vedic hymns declare that everything that exists is being sustained by the Brahma Jyoti, 
Sarvam Kalavidam Brahma. Therefore, the potential seed of all creation is the Brahma Jyoti. And the same Brahma Jyoti, unlimited and unfathomed, is established by the Lord. Therefore, the Lord, Sri Krishna, is ultimately the supreme cause of all creation. Aham Sarvasya Prabhava. Last paragraph. Ready? One should not expect the Lord to create like a blacksmith with a hammer and other instruments. The Lord creates by his potencies. He has his multifarious potencies, parasa shakti rivadaivashuyate, just as the small seed of a banyan fruit has the potency to create a big banyan tree. The Lord disseminates all varieties of seeds by his potential brahmajyoti swarochisa. And the seeds are made to develop by the watering process of persons like Brahma. Brahma cannot create the seeds, but he can manifest the seed into a tree. Just as a gardener helps plants and orchards to grow by the watering process. The example cited here of the sun is very appropriate. In the material world, the sun is the cause of all illumination fire, electricity, the rays of the moon, etc. All luminaries in the sky are creations of the sun. The sun is the creation of the Brahma Jyoti, and the Brahma Jyoti is the effulgence of the Lord. Thus, the ultimate cause of creation is the Lord. So, everything starts in seed form. And whether we have, uh, or when we have an idea to do something, to create something, it starts as an idea, which is a kind of seed. And then it becomes manifest more and more as we water the seed by taking steps towards watering it. And the water is really giving it attention. So in the same way, Everything that we see around us uh, originates from consciousness. And we say consciousness, it's not a formless consciousness or impersonal. Consciousness means a person. We find in conscious beings a personality, a will, volition, and so forth. And the idea that the original source of everything is impersonal is refuted in this verse, and it's very soundly refuted in the Bhagavad Gita as well, where Arjuna directly asks Krishna, what's better, your impersonal form or the personal form? Especially for those who want to place their attention somewhere, and Krishna definitively says that meditating on my impersonal form is tr troublesome for living beings who are embodied. However, if you think of Krishna's personal form and then understand that it's the origin of everything, then aham sarvasya pravavo matak sarvam pravartite iti matva bhajante mam buddha bhava samanvita. With that knowledge and by giving our attention to the form of Krishna, knowing he's the source of everything, we can wholeheartedly worship him, and it is natural also, because we're not accustomed to meditating on anything impersonal. 
we're used to everything coming from a person. And we can experience it in our life also that everything comes from a person. For instance, we all came from parents. Of course, Mahaguna, Satyadev's wife, when she first met Prabhupada, I think she didn't know who her parents were. And maybe she was orphaned or something, I can't remember. But when they met Prabhupada, she asked, he asked about her parents. And she, she said, I don't have any parents. And he said, oh, the stork brought you? Do you know that's a thing people used to tell kids, like, where do babies come from? From the stork. Stork is a big bird, you know. You, you, know, you know about that, right? And then it drops off the baby, like, where did it come from? But that was a joke. I'm not saying you have to laugh now, but I'm just saying it's a joke because we understand that babies come from the mother's womb and that there's a seed giving process through which the baby then becomes possible. So everything works like that in this world and therefore everything can be traced back if we look at our parents and we say, did they have parents? And although I may not at first know who they are, it's possible to trace them back or it might be at some point. I know that people nowadays look at the DNA and trace back and look and see the different um, contributions to your present body that have been involved. <laughs> I've never done it, but I looked at my brothers and I got a pretty good idea because <laughs> probably saved me $300. Um, but it was mixed up enough to know that <laughs> there's, there's, a there's a long history uh, to the body. But if you keep going, you'll come back to an original source. And we talk often, especially in circles where people aren't so much uh, identified with a personal source, we talk about our original conscious source. Because people really don't think that much about where they come from originally, or logically how the source would be personal if we have personality and qualities. And since we're emanations from that source, it's, it's logical that that source also has personality and qualities. So that's important because if we come to that understanding logically, and then it's supported by Brahmanohi Pratishtaham, as Krishna says in the Gita, and this is the verse that Prabhupada's alluding to, Brahmanohi Pratishtaham Amritasya Vyasyacha Shashvatasya Chadarmasya Last line? Sukhasya Kantikasya Krishna says that I'm the basis of the impersonal Brahman. It's coming from me. So when I was a kid, I used to look at the sky and I'd wonder where it all ends. Did you ever think about that? And then I was asking if there was a door or something. Like if it stops at a certain place, then what? Where does it go after that? It's kind of natural for living beings to think about, like where did I come from and where does it all start? But that can be sublimated by the work at hand. I mean, it's possible to, 
to go through one's childhood without asking that because after all, there are Halloween parties to attend. <laughs> and then there's school where they don't really talk about it much or if they do, it's in a superficial way. And then in adulthood, one has to get going because you have to pay off the student loan and who knows what else you need it for in order just to live. And then one, one day finds oneself in um, the youth of old age. Did you know 60 is the youth of old age? His holiness, Indra Dunamarsh, told me. He said, 60 is the youth of old age. <laughs> so that's great. I know how I felt in my youth, and now I know how I feel now. <laughs> I hate to see the old age of my old age. And so there... So there's a way in which we're, we're emanations uh, from Krishna. We can trace that back. And we may forget about that in a whole lifetime. So it's important to, thank you, it's important to, to make the inquiry and find out uh, what is the origin. And this is something Krishna recommends in the Bhagavad Gita. He starts... Uh, by describing this in the 15 chapters, saying, you know, you're really lost. And if you've ever been, I mean, we're lost existentially, but if, have you ever been lost in a city? Really lost? And then you didn't know, you couldn't find your way back? Sometimes kids get lost at the state fair. State fairs are infamous for that. You walk in, you know, come on, now you wait right here, then come back, it's like, where'd he go? <laughs> I don't know, I don't know, I don't know where he went. <laughs> and then instead of having a good time, the parents for the next three hours, people make an announcement, and the kid, you know, it's like a little far, a little, a couple blocks away, but he's, and he's lost. And so we're actually lost. It's a scary, scary feeling to not know where your protectors are and how to get back. So Krishna says, you're lost like that. Narupa masyeha tatopa labyate nanto nacha dhiranacha sampratishta ashvatamenam vurudamulam asanga shastrena dridhena chittava. You're lost in this huge cosmos. And you have no idea what you're doing. Uh, where you came from, where are you going, how long you've been here. You could do the 23andMe, but it doesn't answer the question. And so he says, you know, knock it off. This is enough's enough. You've come to the human form of life. Now's your chance to cut out all the stuff that you don't need and get to the real point. Dridhena chitva, he said, knock it off. You know, just stop it already. Uh, stop wandering around. Don't loiter. Loitering is illegal in a lot of places because there's signs at 7-Eleven say no loitering. So loitering means you're here without a real purpose. So he says then get to the point. Start focusing your attention on your source, where you come from originally. And then he says once you know that source, parimargitavyam, now you've got a real journey to do. And if you know where you're going, 
and you know what's there when you get there, even theoretically. The journey is blissful even on the first step because now I'm taking a purposeful step. I'm going towards that original source, my home. I'm no longer lost. I know the way back. I was lost in Japan once. I know you've heard this a million times, but it was a river. How hard is it to follow a river? So I followed the river. It goes right through Tokyo. And I went for a long time. And then I turned around to come back. How did I know that it had, there were two rivers. So I was following the other river back. And I kept walking and walking. And the f f further I walked, the, the more I thought I was making progress, but actually I was getting more lost. That's the material world. I think I'm making progress. Hey, I just got a million dollars more. And like everything we get, every step we take here, we're going the wrong direction. And I, I had a sense when I was walking along the river the first time that uh, I was happy-go-lucky. But then when I officially was lost and couldn't see any way back, and I also had a plane to catch, and that. Uh, and I didn't know the address. I had no phone. I'll keep making it more dramatic. <laughs> that time, I couldn't express myself in Japanese. No one I met there it was a smaller part, part of Tokyo spoke English. So I was really lost. And I, I was no longer happy-go-lucky. I felt a little panicky, like, well, now what? So then, systematically, I looked at the map, and then it finally dawned on me there were two rivers. And then I made my way back. I finally, I recognized some of the terrain. And what a relief when you see, okay, the, now I know my way home. So in Krishna consciousness, that's the feeling. It's a, it's a home-going feeling. I'm really going home. So whatever else happens is not that consequential. It's, it's not as important as the journey. So this is parimargitavyam. I'm making the journey back to the source. And it's a loving source. He's a loving source. He's the one who's been supporting me all the time. And he's my support in everything. It's just I really haven't known about it. I haven't known about him. So parimargitavyam. And you can go there and personally meet. And we know that from this story, we're gonna hear about it soon. You're gonna, I mean, you've already heard it before. Uh, even the babies here have heard it because they heard the whole Bhagavatam of the womb. But Brahma shakes hands with Krishna. Come on, that's nice, right? And Krishna says to him, the coolest thing you could possibly say, Badramte, hey, Brahma. <laughs> Go for it. <laughs> huh? Prabhu? 286. 286. 286. Okay. Let's look at 286, please. From the Srimad Bhagavatam. Special request of the pundit in the front row. All of this, this knowledge that we're getting from the Srimad Bhagavatam and this section is bringing us to this journey. And we know where the end point is. We have an existential crisis here. We're lost. It's not bad to be lost in the Bhagavatam. 
if you're lost on your phone and you like <laughs> start going, why did I pick the thing up in the first place? <laughs> How did I end up in Afghanistan? Dautatma Purusha Krishna. Yeah, this is the verse. Dautatma Purusha Krishna Padamulam Namunchati Muktasarva Pariklesha Panta Swasharanam Yata. So Panta means the path, and Swasharanam means your home. It's a sweet name for home because Swa means yourself, and Sharanam means where you take shelter. You think of that. Say Swasharanam. That's our home where, you know, where we can actually take shelter. Prabhu, you brought it up so you can comment on it. No, I insist. You could do whatever you want, wish. No, the, the, the You're point. You're a free the, living entity. <laughs> <laughs> the point you made about getting lost and going back the Tokyo's temple actually brought up this verse to me and I just I, I, I just, that that's the only thing and then it's it's perfect really cooling to that it's really perfect it's kind of what I had in mind but I didn't you know it didn't come to that point so let's look at the Sanskrit again because that's really I mean it says Dautatma Purusha Krishna so it's naming Krishna as the end of the journey and Padamulam Namunchati when you, when you actually come to take shelter of Krishna then your journey has come to an end, and so it's a it's a, a, a an analogy to a traveler, muktasarva pariklesha. All the miseries of uh, somebody who's traveling, and of course, you all know that the word travel comes from the word travail. And where's travail come from? An instrument of torture. It's a kind of uh, I don't know. Humans are perverse, aren't they? <laughs> so there's a, it's some instrument with like three balls on it where you hit people and it, you know, rips their flesh. And so that came into the, into the word travail, which comes into the word travel. Huh? Huh? <laughs> now you know why the airlines have such bad service. It's travail. It's a kind of torture. Uh, so that torture is over. Yes. The torture is over. Yeah, put up the word for word. Okay, so dauta, dauta atma, whose heart has been cleansed. Purusha, the living being. Krishna, the supreme personality of God. Pada mulam, the shelter of the lotus feet. Na, never, munchiti, gives up. Mukta, liberated, sarva, all. Praiklesha, of all the miseries of life. You, can't, you can put them all in one place and count them up. And Panta, the traveler, swasharanam in his own abode, yata, as it were. So just as a traveler who comes home is unburdened and feels quite satisfied, so similarly one who comes to Krishna and feels satisfied as the traveler. Let's read the translation. A pure devotee of the Lord whose heart has once been cleansed by the process of devotional service never relinquishes the lotus feet of the Lord of Lord Krishna, for they fully satisfy him as a traveler is satisfied at home after a troubled journey. Isn't that nice?
Bhagavatam's nice. We can relate to it as living entities. It speaks to us very personally. It says, I know, I know, I know. It's okay. We're going to handle this together. That's why it's so important to distribute the Bhagavatam too. In fact, just the other day, Loka Ram Prabhu sent me a, uh, or he sent it to the a forum that I'm on, a paragraph from one of Prabhupada's writings in the, does somebody have it handy? Because I sent it somewhere. You got it? He, he wrote in his Delhi Bhagavatam about his intention to distribute the Bhagavatam. Now you're all going to be interested in hearing this again because, can I see it? Oh, go ahead, Malini, you read it. That's befitting. Formerly, even 50 years before, rich and well-to-do members of the society used to get Srimad Bhagavatam imprinted or handwritten along with authoritative commentaries by learned pundits and then distribute them among the devotees of the Lord specially and the people in general casually. At the present moment, the time is so changed that we had to request one of the biggest industrialists of India to purchase 100, 100 copies and distribute them, but the poor fellow expressed his inability. We wished that someday, sorry, we wish that somebody may come forward to pay for the actual cost of publication of the Srimad Bhagavatam and let them be distributed free to all the leading gentlemen of the world. But nobody is so far prepared to do this, actu- this social uplifting work. Haribo! You like it, right? Kumishri, Sukeshri. Okay. Rishesh really likes it. So, this is good. Now we'll take a few reflections or questions. When I read this, Prabhu, um, I was just thinking that with Krishna's mercy, Prabhupada's uh, absolute mercy and your mercy, I think we're able to do it now. <laughs> we're doing it in... I was just thinking about devotees who say $10,000 and, you know, and then they just give away. You know, even, even if it's one Bhagavatam, we've been giving out to so many people uh, even free copies of Bhagavatam. Yep. Well, years ago... I should say, in the 70s, Prabhupada asked for it. And it's not that some people didn't try. There was one devotee in Australia that put his whole consciousness into making it work. And I was in on some of those conversations. And also, over in Berkeley, Hans Aduda was uh, trying. And he had some success. They went and studied the Encyclopedia. You haven't probably ever heard of these guys, Encyclopedia Britannica. Well, everyone used to have a whole set in their house. I mean, I grew up with one and uh, was taught not to copy from it for my reports. Um, so it's very, uh, it's, it's not that some haven't tried, but you're right. Now, somehow or other, by Krishna's arrangement and by Prabhupada's desire, there's a flow starting, just opening with a trickle. So we have to open it up. Uh, completely wide so that the whole planet gets covered with Srimad Bhagavatam sets. That's why in the next five years we have to go from 35,000 I know this is turning into a like a 
35,000 to 100,000. Five years. So, that can be done by Lord Chaitanya's arrangement. Pardon me? 100,000 for ISV, right? No, no, global goal. Because 35,000 is what we did in the world. But that's all right, too. We, <laughs> we, the number is not, you know, it's, it's rather arbitrary, but we always have to have a fresh challenge to reach up for it. And we have to have something that seems at the moment to be impossible. Because unless we have that intrigue in our lives that we're working to, for the impossible, then life's really boring and it's torturous. So we need to have this full absorption in a, in a mission, mission-based growth. Not growth just for the sake of getting bigger, but we have to have a, a, an idea of where we're going and what we're trying to do that's purposeful. And th that's why I love this quote, and I, I want to lead with it wherever we go, because you can, it, it's so raw and pure, you can see Prabhupada's desire and also his open plea and saying, like, nobody wants to help. So we do, right? Yeah. So if you have that, there's nothing more valuable than have that purpose in your life. Everything else then becomes a support of that, going towards that mission. And if we set our sights on something that's uh, simultaneously possible and impossible and we reach for it, then... We'll, we'll watch before our very eyes the mercy of Lord Chaitanya Mahaprabhu unfold in our lives, and that's what we want to see. Okay, let's take a few more reflections or questions. Oh, good, Subhadra. Sometime while you've been reading this, it sounds like everything is coming from the rays of Krishna, and sometimes it sounds like everything is Brahman. Is there a difference between Brahman and the Brahma Shoti? Well, uh, Krishna differentiates his energies. In the Bhagavad Gita, he says there's a lower energy and a higher energy. That's why he starts with mentioning the separated energies, earth, water, fire, air, ether, mind, intelligence, and ego. And then he says besides these, there's a superior energy. In the ultimate end, uh, it's to Krishna, it's all spiritual because he's spiritual. And... Therefore, everything that emanates from him is part of him. It's connected to him. So the point about the Brahman being the source of everything, as modified here, you hear in this purport by Prabhupada mentioning how everything is there in seed form. And that's also helpful metaphor or it's really not even a metaphor, it's actually literal, in the sense that everything, as I said earlier, starts from a seed. And so f from the, s the subtlety of, from the, from, from it, from their, from the subtle forms of, of all variety in this material world, they're all present there within the Brahma Jyoti. And then they, uh, are manifest by the secondary creator, uh, Brahma. And so Brahma creates in a subtle way also. He uses mantra. Everything's already coded. 
the codes are already available. Now I'm talking your language, right? <laughs> so the codes are already there. You just uh, present them and put them in the right place. And then the algorithm starts and everything manifests the way it should, if, if the code is right. So Krishna is giving these codes that they're already available. Brahma is uh, enlightened with the codes for creation, and then he speaks them. He has to be a completely pure being to be able to perceive the seeds. That's why if you want to be Brahma, if anyone wants to apply for this job, you have to have 100 births that are completely perfect in alignment with the Varnashram. No mistakes. Then you become Brahma. That's why Brahma is called Vidhi. Oh, Vidhi, Krishna calls him Vidhi because it's like, oh, one who follows every rule and regulation perfectly. Then he becomes empowered to be able to manifest those items. So it's a hard, hard question to answer exactly, but the point is everything is Brahman in one sense, Sarva Kalavidam Brahma, everything is Brahman, but it has variegatedness within it. And there are, there's variety within the oneness. Varanti tat tatva vidas tatvam yajjnanam advayam brahmeti paramatmeti bhagavan iti shabdite. There, even within the manifest Krishna's manifestation, it's known that he's in three features: Brahman, Paramatma, and Bhagavan. So those are three varieties within the oneness. Thank you. Thank you for your question. Okay, we'll take one more question or reflection. Yes. Hare Krishna. So, Prabhuji, um, from the quote of Srila Prabhupada, that um, he wanted someone to sponsor the Bhagavatam and then, then be able to distribute it to others. Um, I just wanted to share something from yesterday's book distribution. Um, we went to one door, and um, the person at the door, he said, uh, the, um, uh, he told us that the person standing behind who I talked to him last week, I'm not interested already. <laughs> and then we thought, okay, and then we moved on. After that, we met one very elderly person who was walking around. He was doing his evening walk with a mask. And when we uh, showed him Bhagavatam, then he said he was a... Um, um, he was visiting from India. He is visiting from India. And he said, I would like to read Bhagavatam. And I know my wife also would be interested. But then he said, uh, you know, I cannot. I'm, I'm, I'm visiting my daughter here. I need to go and check with her. And um, I am dependent on them. So then he walked and then he entered the home. We just, we just had talked to. Then so we were thinking that, oh, no. And then. But then he um, uh, um, he walked inside, he went, he spoke, we could see from the door. And then he came back and then he said that, uh, they said no. Um, and uh, I, I'm really sorry, I, I, I wanted to read, but uh, I cannot accept then. Achyuta Prabhu is there and he's so, he wants to give the Bhagavatam. And he said, uh, you know, you just take this, don't worry, you know, we are not asking for anything. Uh, you just take the Bhagavatam, just your desire to read is enough. Please take this. Then he said, they are not um, inclined to take it, so I don't want to disturb the environment. And and we, it was a pinch in the heart of all the devotees, seeing so much 
uh, inconvenience, even though he has a desire, even though there is, um, devotees are offering and he's not able to accept. It's really difficult situation, actually. And he has a sincere desire, the way he was explaining. My wife and me both would like to read. And then uh, Chitta Prabhu said, where will you go back to when you go to India? So then he said, I'll Pune. He said, okay, give your Pune address. You don't have to ask anybody. And he was so happy. He was so happy. Yeah, you can send it to my address in India. He was so happy. And then Rajadavu noted his address. And uh, he said, yeah, you'll, you'll get it soon. He's, he's leaving in, in eight days to go back to India. And he said, you'll soon get here. And then Naveen Dalat Prabhu was there. And he Prabhu said, so Prabhu, how are we going to have a donation for this, you know? <laughs> because uh, Prabhu is uh, very enthusiastic. He joined our team for the Sankirtan. And then, uh, yeah, so, um, you know, we were mentioning that uh, uh, we will sponsor it. And there are so many devotees who are willing to sponsor. Even our Sudeep Sabnisrubi, he always mentions that if you meet somebody who wants Bhagavatam and uh, he, he cannot uh, somehow donate, please let me know. I would like to sponsor. So, you know, there are so many people who are pouring their heart out to want to give the Bhagavatam. So I just wanted to mentioned that because, you know, that quote from Prabhupada, and uh, uh, that's how it happened yesterday, and he was very happy to receive. Thank you very much, Kameshri Haribo. <laughs> the takeaway from that is it's a very good idea to sponsor Bhagavatams, and feel free to do it, because it's completely authorized. And whatever assets we have now will soon be out of our hands anyway, but if you can channel them into the distribution of Bhagavatam, just as Prabhupada asked for, then you get the eternal credit and so do the other people. By the way, Sachinanda Nimai Prabhu yesterday gave uh, a donation of $11,000 to distribute uh, books for the marathon on behalf of Gauri. Hare Krishna. <laughs> Vanchakopadrusha, Kripasundabe, Vichapatitanam, Pavanibio, Vaishnavibio, Nomonamaha, Nantakoti Vaishnavinki Jai, Go Premanande, Dubeg.